Today on The Friday Fix. Globally, most countries are looking at how they can decarbonize their economy. So everyone is drawing on that demand at the same time. And we need to push to action and, and really start looking at how we can start making these projects live. This is the first episode of season three of Power Court's Friday Fix. My name is James White. I'm the head of the Industrials and Support Services team. Energy security is a hot topic of conversation. And I'm joined today by John Murphy, who's the CEO of J Murphy & Sons. J Murphy & Sons provide the country with everything from overhead and underground cables to substations and renewable energy infrastructure. So John, hello, and thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, James. Let's dive straight into it. I mean, energy infrastructure is the topic that everybody seems to be talking about now, given everything that's going on in the energy market. You guys have a front row seat. What's your take on on where the UK is at right now when it comes to security and energy provision? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting time. I think when we look back 14 or 15 months ago, we, we had COP and that really kicked off. What are we going to do about delivering our net zero commitments for 2050? And then in the early part of last year, we had the, you know, obviously the unfortunate war in Ukraine, and that really shone a light on energy security. So I think we're in this position where we're looking at the need for decarbonizing our, our energy systems in line with our, our government commitments of 2050, but also how do we utilize that to provide a high level of, of energy security and a level of independence as well when we look at what we need to power our industry, power our homes and, and the, the growing need for technology across our lives. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned, you touched briefly there on renewables. Obviously, that's an area that is is growing in prominence. Is that the answer or is it just simply part of the answer? In, in my view, there's a whole system required here. And I think the UK is in a in a really, really unique position when we look at the the UK shoreline is is ideal for the generation of offshore wind, and you know as we look at sort of the next level of technology as we go to floating uh, wind farms, we'll be able to go further and deeper in, into our coastline. We've got a, an excellent position around nuclear. We're already building a nuclear power station in Hinkley. You know, the government have committed to to size well. You know, we've got businesses like. Rolls-Royce, who are able to bring small and medium nuclear reactors to the market. And then you know, through the history history of North Sea oil and gas, we can introduce carbon capture and storage from our high emitting industries and also play in the role of hydrogen as well. And, and you know, when we look at what we require to deliver energy security and net carbon zero by 2050, all of these have a role to play. And I don't think one aspect of this has a higher level of priority than another because they will all complement each other and hydrogen is far easier to store and transmit than other forms of generation. So we need to look at it, how these can complement each other. And we've seen the ambition from government last year come through the energy security strategy. So we just need to see how we play that ambition into reality when we look at some of the pretty challenging targets that we set ourselves. Yeah, I mean, that's the kicker, isn't it? I suppose one thing, putting it down on paper, another thing, realising it. Government clearly outlined a roadmap last year. I guess what's next from, from your perspective in terms of what the government needs to do to help make that kind of dream a reality, so to speak? When we look at some of the targets that we put into the energy security strategy, there's a number of things we need to do by 2030. And I think this isn't just about energy security. It's about the, the increasing impact of climate change. And, and we can see that 
on an ongoing basis. We can see it through the heat we're experiencing in this country during the summer, increasing drought, lack of snow in the Alps over the Christmas period. So we've clearly got the ambition. I think when we look at the UK, what does hydrogen look like? How we can operate a safe hydrogen network? We've got nuclear capability. We need to now start pushing to action. And, and globally, most countries are looking at how they can decarbonize their economy. So, you know, the resources required and the equipment required to implement this technology, everyone is is drawing on that demand at the same time. So, you know, we need to push to action and, and really start looking at how we can start making these projects live and real through the regulatory regimes, through government, um, and ultimately making it create an environment where businesses are happy to invest in the UK to enable this transition. Well, that, and, and that's the point, isn't it? Because ultimately, it's businesses like yours that have to make an upfront investment in order to help deliver infrastructure, you know, several years down the track, you, you need to be met halfway almost by government in order to give you that certainty to invest, because otherwise, there's a lot of faith being put by you, and a lot of money being put by firms like Murphy, which you know, needs to be matched by government's kind of provision of, of certainty that these things are going to come to fruition. We can start looking at what we can do when we see the ambition. Um, we then need to start seeing financial investment decisions, how the commercial reality of a hydrogen network, a carbon capture network, how they will work to be able to then say, right, by 2027, we're going to see, or 25, we're going to see some construction activity and that allows us to plan the development of these resources, the requirement to purchase the necessary equipment to deliver these projects, and also build the supply chain and where we're going to source the materials to deliver these schemes. So ambition is great, and, and we can start getting sort of excited about that, but we need to then move into what's the reality in the time frame of this. And we're all businesses. You you don't want to go too early because you know you don't want to get stranded resource and you don't want to be too late where we're inefficient in how we deliver this because we haven't given ourselves time to to ready ourselves um, accordingly and we're we're quite fortunate we work across the UK we work in North America as well so we can manage resources but there's still an an extraordinary ramp up of resources to deliver the ambition and we're seeing it across the globe so it's not like we're going to be able to pull resources from different parts of the world because we're going to see the build out of these networks in continental Europe, as well as North America, as well as other parts of the world. I mean, you, you mentioned hydrogen a couple of times now, and clearly, as you say, around the world, everybody is is switched on to the idea of hydrogen and the potential that brings. Just explain for some of our listeners why, for you, hydrogen has got a role to play as part of that energy mix. I think when we look at electric vehicles, you know, we can see electrifying cars, works really well and, and we can see it across our own business but as you get heavier so as you start looking at your your trucks and your excavators the level of batteries required to support that um, increases significantly we can see entrepreneurial businesses like jcp and, and, and rise are looking at how we get onto greater levels of hydrogen so we can see we will need electrical vehicles and we will need some form of hydrogen combustion. And then the second one is when we say we we want to move away from natural gas by 2050 as part of the government commitments. Well, we're going to need 
some form of replacement to be able to fire our cement works, fire our glass manufacturing, fire our industry. That natural gas is that fuel source today. We're going to need something different. And, and, and that's where hydrogen plays an interesting role. As you say, the potential is there. But once again, we're left in that realm where it's potential and, and we need to obviously think long term. I mean, long term thinking is is part and parcel of, of Murphy's DNA, I guess. You guys have obviously you know, been around since the 50s, kind of how does that mindset kind of support you in an industry that's pretty tough, pretty unforgiving, but you guys have been doing this now for over 70 or so years. Do you think being part of a family run enterprise has, has given you an advantage in that respect? Yes, without a doubt. I think we're, we're on to our third generation now. And I think the benefit of being a, a family business, we can take a long-term view and we're able to kind of look at the, the peaks and troughs of our industry and be able to sort of say, well, how do we diversify what we do to a to an extent where we're still very capable but we have enough cushion and room that we can ride through the peaks and troughs it allows us to take a, a longer term view in investment so you know we can start saying well actually we we know some of this activity is going to happen in the next three to five years so let's start making some of that incremental investment now rather than waiting till it's at your doorstep and you're rushing to do it at that point in time. I think it allows us to take a long-term view on how we deal with our clients. I think it creates a, a really interesting environment for our people where we can look at how we develop our people to to sort of transition their skills and capabilities to new sectors and new industries. Um, and then I think with a family business, there's always a, a great sense of stewardship in terms of at what point you enter the business and at what point in the future you may want to hand it over to the next generation. What role have you played in the stewardship of that business during that, that period is is, uh, is always a, a really interesting part of what we do. You can imagine. I mean, I, your grandfather started the firm. Um, I imagine he would look at the firm today and, and, and see a very different business to the one that he, he started back in the 50s. Looking ahead into the future and gazing into the crystal ball, what will construction look like in you know, 20, 30 years from your perspective? We've seen big leaps forward in terms of technology, data usage, digital twins, all those sorts of things. What are some of the things that you imagine will come to the fore in, in the decades ahead? Yeah, I think how we utilize digitization, how we get better at managing data will allow us to make better decisions around the projects that we work on. I think will help us to drive higher levels of productivity. And I think, you know, when we look at some of the advancements in, in manufacturing, will improve the cost of our projects, the quality first time, but also I think we'll see increasing levels of, of improvement in safety performance as well as we embrace new technologies and, and new ways of working across our industry. And I think what we're going to see over the next 10 to 15 years will be a, an extraordinary step forward from where we are today. Excellent. Look, John, thank you so much for spending the time today. Really appreciate it. And uh, and here's to a fantastic 2023. Thank you very much, James. And all the same to you and the rest of the team at Power Squad. Thank you.